You're listening to Simperts Radio, episode number 162. And today we're talking about one woman's journey on overcoming anxiety and depression. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find more joy. Today, we have a show for you. I am thrilled and honored to have this special guest on my podcast. She's someone I've been following for a while, and I just absolutely love the work that she does. And it wasn't until her latest book that I realized what the journey she has been on and why she is perfect for this anxiety series that we're doing all summer long. So today's guest is Hannah Brencher. Hannah has done many things, including a TED Talk that was heard around the world. Literally, this TED Talk has been watched by millions of people. Essentially, her TED Talk was about a movement she started long ago and writing love letters to strangers. Since then, Hannah has opened up the world of speaking, writing books, including her latest book, Come Matter Here, which is what we're going to dive into on today's show. Hannah is fantastic. You're going to want to stay tuned because she is really going to dive into deep things in her past and how she really worked to overcome them. And I really feel like bring to light some newness with depression and anxiety, calling it by name and overcoming kind of the fluff that we often hear about when it comes to healing. So I'm excited to dig in with Hannah, learn more and help us to open up to new possibilities in the mindset space. So Hannah's going to be coming on the show, but before we get there, I do want to remind you of a few announcements. First of all, if you haven't left a rating and review for Simperts Radio, I would love for you to do so. I know I mention this often over here, but it really is the lifeblood of the show. It's what helps it grow and help other people like you who wouldn't otherwise know about Simperts Radio to find it and to dig in and to join this community of like-minded people who are here for realistic health changes, stuff that actually sticks and matters. So if you wouldn't mind, would you take two minutes out of your day to head on over to iTunes, find Simperos Radio, or just go to simperoswellness.com backslash review and leave a quick rating and review. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, while you're doing that, don't forget to head to the show notes, simperoswellness.com backslash 162 to get more information on today's show and one thing you can be doing to help anxiety. It's one quick, less than five minute thing that you could be doing in your everyday life to help beat anxiety. So head on over there to get all that information and the action plan to get started. One last thing, I've had a lot of people ask me about hormones lately and what hormones have to do with anxiety. We kind of mentioned this on the food podcast and how food is affecting your mood. So if you didn't listen to that, make sure you go back and listen to that and really all the other episodes in this series, starting with episode number 150. But if you want more help on healing your hormones, I do have a program called the Five Day Hormonal Reset that hundreds and hundreds of women have gone through and men. And it really is what I believe one of the most foundational tools in helping to just reset your hormones. It's not necessarily a fix or this quick option like so many people are looking for, but it helps give your body the space it needs to heal, and you will see big changes from that. Like I said, it's five days. Your entire family can do it, and people really do love it. I do it multiple times a year and absolutely love it myself. So to learn more about that, head on over to SimperitsWellness.com and click on the Hormone Reset to learn more about that. Okay, I hope that answers your questions. For now, let's dive in right away and welcome Hannah to the show. 
Welcome to the show, Hannah. I'm excited to have you on. And I was just telling you before this, I've been following you for a while. And it's fun to actually get to talk to you and hear your story in real life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Yeah. So I just want to start with your story because I connected so much with the story that you've told in in your books and I've heard you on many podcasts, but about 10 years ago, you started a love letter movement where you wrote letters to strangers as encouragement. You obviously saw this need in the human heart and the quiet places that no one often sees. Like, where did this movement come from and why did you start it? Yeah, I mean, I always preface by saying this was not something I ever anticipated or planned for. I didn't think I would start a love letter movement. Um, But yeah, I basically, I mean, my mother has written me letters for as long as I can remember. And so at every juncture of my life that was important, my mom had left letters for me. Mm -hmm. Um, She'd tuck them in the suitcases or bags or boxes, wherever I would find one unexpectedly. And so when I moved to New York City and I started struggling with loneliness and then eventually depression, the way that I knew how to cope was by writing letters and leaving them. And I think in the back of my mind, it was always this thought of like, I can't be the only one that's feeling lonely and alone and sad. And so I wanted to write things that other people would be able to pick up and maybe feel like they weren't alone in it. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's so fascinating that your mom left those letters. Does she still do that? She does. Yes. Uh, Still to this day, she mails them and she also just leaves them anytime she's visiting or if I'm visiting home. Um, So yeah, I didn't ever think it'd be a movement, but people were really drawn to this idea. And I think for me, it's always been about this bigger idea of like actual real connection. I think as we get more social on social media, what often slips out of the back door is like actual true connection with people. Um, And I think letters symbolize that. I think they symbolize presence. I think they symbolize showing up and giving somebody your full attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my next question is kind of like, what did you learn about the human mindset in the years of writing letters? You kind of just talked about it, but what, what did you see transform in that? Yeah, I think that I, I definitely learned that um, if if ever I'm feeling sad or alone or believing lies, like I'm definitely not the only one. There are so many people that are feeling the exact same thing. Um, and I think that, I mean, and there are so many studies to prove it, that when you sit down to actually like hand write a letter, um, something happens that it allows you to process emotions and thoughts and feelings in a way that's different than if you're sending a text or writing an email. And so the fact that we're not writing things anymore, I think can be a little bit detrimental. And we find all the time with people that write letters for us, they'll send us emails saying, you know, like I joined this movement thinking I'm going to help people. And I end up being (laughs) the one who is helped. Right, right. But as your story continues, I mean, to dive in a little bit more, you started suffering with depression, like you kind of mentioned, and anxiety at almost debilitating amounts. How did this come about? Like, was there a trigger or, or, or was this just kind of brewing in your life and it just kind of let loose? Yeah, I think that it was brewing without even realizing it. Like, I think that it was something that 
as a child, we would just kind of explain it away as like, oh, she's just, we called it queasy. Um, so if I ever was anxious, we'd just be like, oh, she's just queasy. But I was anxious a lot. I was anxious like all the time over things that other kids could just do pretty normally and not have anxiety about. Um, and so I have learned in the years to follow that like anxiety and depression often go hand in hand with one another. And so now having a much more informed mindset of what that actually is, I would say, yeah, I've always been more of a melancholy bit of a person and I've always had some anxiety that I've been dealing with. And so I think it just was kind of this perfect storm that all of a sudden I was dealing with the depression component of it. Yeah. And how deep did you go? Like, where did you get yourself and how did you get yourself kind of back out of that? I mean, it was pretty, I think the thing about depression is that you do get stuck in your own head and your own thoughts and it is a self-obsessing illness. And so as much as you want to like pull yourself out of it and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like that's not what works. And Mm -hmm. it often doesn't work when you tell a depressed person, just like, just get stronger, you know? Um, but I think I went, I mean, I know that I went to some very dark places and, um, there were definitely times where I thought like, am I ever coming out of this? Like, am I ever going to be normal again? Um, but what's crazy and what I probably didn't know back then was that by writing those letters to people and by continuing to do that today, it is a small act that allows you to step outside of yourself, which Mm -hmm. I think is actually very effective for depression is that in those times where I want so badly to just focus inward and think about my own thoughts, those are often the times where I need to step outside of myself and I need to think about somebody else or I need to do something for somebody else because it will pull me out of that temporary funk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And I love that concept because I think so often we're told to go inside to fix ourselves, but it's hard to fix yourself when you're broken. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that there takes this out. Totally. Yes. I mean, I don't know what, how you can expand on that and some of the things that you did outside of love letters to really like get well. Well, I just feel like I, I definitely did believe this mindset of like, if I silo myself away and I just fix myself, then I will emerge and I won't be broken anymore. And I think that when you're depressed, probably the thing you need most, uh, more than anything is to be surrounded by people. You don't need to isolate yourself. And so for me personally, being a person of faith, you know, like I thought, well, okay, the more that I read my Bible and the more that I spend time with God, like the less depressed I'm going to be. And it actually had the adverse effect on me. Um, So it just meant that I was isolating myself more and I was becoming more and more unhealthy. And so I often say now, like, you just have to do the opposite of what you think um, when you're in that space. Um, Your brain is trying as hard as it can to have rational thoughts, but like, you, there is a chemical imbalance that is happening. And so it's like, if you think you should just stay by yourself, that probably means you need to go out and see people. If you think you want to stay in bed all day, that means you need to get up and you need to get dressed. And the way that I kind of move myself out of those funks or those depressive states, because I still have those days is Mm -hmm. just, okay, what can I do in the next five minutes, just five minutes. What is one thing I know I can do right now? And then when I complete that, I can do something else. And that's kind of how I gain steam and momentum back. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good information. So wise. So in your book, you your latest book, Come Matter Here, you say, maybe it's not about knowing what you want. Maybe it's about making slow and steady choices to become a better character in your story. Mm. And I love this line, like living in a yeah. culture where we feel like we need to know the end, <laughs> but it becomes daunting. Yes, yes. Like, how do we do that slow, steady change, like one thing at a time? Well, I think, I mean, I think my experience has been, and I, I know this because I am living proof of it. It's like, we all kind of want to change our lives, right? Like mm-hmm. we always think I could be a better person or I could be a more fit person or I could be a healthier person. And what we neglect in that is that like, it takes a lot of discipline and rhythms and routines in order to get to this place where like these things like eating healthy or working out have become habits for us. And so I've just learned how to like, quote unquote, like hack my life in order to build disciplines and routines and rhythms that just slowly but surely transform other things. And so it's small things like, for instance, at the beginning of this year, one of my goals was I want to read more this year and scroll less. That was the goal. Yeah. And you can't just set the goal and expect for things to change. And I think that's why a lot of us are disheartened when our New Year's resolutions don't happen is because we made a goal, but we didn't make the goal actionable. Yes. And so I started to implement and add small things that I had no excuse to not do. And slowly but surely, my habits started to change. And so one of those things of like, I set an actionable goal is like, I want to read 40 books this year. And in order to read 40 books, I really have to be putting my phone down in order to read more often. And so I would break up a goal to say, okay, like today I'm going to read 10 pages. And 10 pages is manageable. I can somehow find space in my day to read 10 pages. And then if I stick with that for about 20 days, one book has been finished and I've read a book. And so I think what we don't like to do is to break it into, we don't like to break it into small action steps because we are living in a culture that's like instant success, instant gratitude. You should be there tomorrow if you set the goal. And that's just not how progress works. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a detriment to the mind too. Like, think that we can arrive yep. at, a, at a destination in mm-hmm. no time and carry the load of that. You know, like I think that there is a weight that we have to go through and trials and fire that we have to go through to kind of be refined in order to to get there. And honestly, like in your own battle with anxiety and depression, do you feel like we ever really arrive or heal? Or do you feel like it's always something that you're fighting? Or working on. I feel like fight's not the right word either. It's kind of negative, but. Oh, I think the fight word is great. I'm like, yes. Yeah, bring it on. (laughs) To me, I always tell people what what I've had to create is a battle plan Mm -hmm. because it is a battle. Um, But going off of that, I mean, I am very careful about like the language that I use because for a long time I said, oh, I'm suffering from depression or I'm struggling with depression. And I realized I was kind of letting the depression have the upper hand in that. And so now when I say it's like, oh, well, like I'm dealing with depression or I'm handling depression, meaning it is part of my story, but I do not allow it to be my identity. Um, But I totally believe that it is a daily fight and that you have to show up. And even if you don't face 
anxiety or depression and it's something else, I think every single one of us has to fight to show up for our lives and be fully present to it. Um, And so, yeah, there are good days and there are bad days. And there are days where you have to get to the end of it and be like, you know what? I did the best that I could. It wasn't the day I expected it to be, but like tomorrow is a new day. And you have to apply a lot of grace. But I also think that at some point I had to reach this point in my story of like, okay, if this is always going to be the thing, if this is always going to be the battle, then I need to put some action steps in place and I need to fight harder and I need to, I need to take hold of this thing because I am not going to let it steal my life. Yeah. And I love that you keep talking about action because I feel like in the mind world, we, ha- we know we have these negative thoughts and we know we need to make them positive, but I feel like so often the, uh, what do I want to say? The advice is to just make your thoughts more positive, to end that and fill your life with positive affirmations. <laughs> yeah. But like, does that really ever stick unless you put action with it? Like, do we always just revert back to negative action, which takes us back to negative thinking? Like, what, what is your take on that? Like that whole advice of just think more positive. I mean, I think, I I think that's a very, very tall order, especially if you are fighting depression and anxiety. I have definitely tried the think more positively thing and it's hard. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's an uphill battle. And I am not saying in any way of like not surrounding yourself with positive words or like when you're in the pit of depression, like maybe the book of Job isn't the best place for you (laughs) to be reading, you know, like. But I do think, like you said, I think it's hand in hand. I think there has to be positive words, but I also think it has to come with action. And a lot of times, like the things that we say to ourselves are the most detrimental. And often those things that we say are followed by actions. Mm-hmm. Um, like you think about healthy eating and how hard that is um, to get a grasp on that. But it's like, if I'm feeding my body all of these foods that it doesn't really want and doesn't really react well to, what do I really think of myself? Because this isn't exactly a loving thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always say like the way that I think about it, like in my own personal life is I think about, okay, if I were to take myself, like pull myself out of my body and I, that was like somebody standing beside me, how would I treat them? What would I do for them? Like, because if I'm willing to do that for somebody else, why wouldn't I be willing to do that for myself? Right. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So good. Okay. So in your book, you also say anxiety will have a field day with whatever you feed it. Your anxiety is happy to feed on your love life, your relationships, your career, and your purpose in life. Your anxiety wants to be fed something substantial, something that matters most to you so it can feel full and still hold a purpose in your brain. Can you expand mm. more on this? Yeah, I think that that came from that thought originally came from my friend, Lauren, who, while I was like in the midst of fighting this crazy depression, um, I I was telling her, this is what I'm feeling anxious about. It's this, this, this. And she said to me, she's like, well, your anxiety is always going to feed on something as long as you let it. Mm. Like if it's not going to be your relationship, then it will be your work. And if it's not going to be your work, then it's going to be this friendship over here. And it's really true. Like the, the times where I have not felt anxious about things, my mind has almost searched for something to be anxious about because that's the habit. That's the rhythm is that I am anxious or I am worried something will fall apart. And so 
I, I definitely feel like there is such a component of like retraining your brain. Um, but it's hard. It does not happen overnight. And, and I've had to learn to say no to that anxiety. And there have been days where I've said no and it's gone away. And there have been days where I have fought the battle Mm -hmm. minute by minute and hour by hour. But I think that there's something really powerful to speak back to it and be like, no, like you don't get to have this relationship anymore. Or like, no, my job is doing fine. All of these thoughts are not rational thoughts. I need to identify them as not rational thoughts. And then I need to move forward. Mm -hmm. So like, I think it's really good when you let somebody else into the fight with you, like for Lane and me, Lane, my husband, um, if I'm feeling something that just is like bringing me down and making me really anxious, I'll just come out to him and say, Hey, I need you to tell me if this thought is rational or not. Mm. And usually he'll say it's an irrational thought. And then I'll be like, okay, great. I know not to listen to irrational thoughts. You confirmed it's irrational. I'm moving on. And that actually really helps. Mm -hmm. But how often do we stay in our own head? And, you know, I just think about like even myself and the stories that you hear of so few people actually voice anxieties, right? Like what is the power that you found and just getting it out, like just speaking it, like you said, that's such a great thing to have someone come alongside of you and to understand, because I think in our, in our minds, these things have become very real and, and how, how you found that journey of like being willing to open up because there is something very scary and very vulnerable about being willing to be, to say those things. Yeah. I honestly have no idea how I got that vulnerable because Mm -hmm. people always like email and they're like, you're so vulnerable. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just a natural sharer. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm blessed to have no shame attached to most of the things I feel. Um, but yeah, I do think that there's so much power in just speaking it out and letting somebody know. And it doesn't mean you have to like blast it out on social media, you mm-hmm. know, like you just need to find one friend to say like, Hey, I'm in it today. And I just need you to know that I'm in it. And if that's a good friend, that person will probably check in on you or, you know, hold you accountable to something. But the longer that you like hold it into yourself, like the more you suffer alone and Mm -hmm. you just shouldn't have to suffer by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the power that we give that story then of building Mm -hmm. inside of us. And there is great power in in what we speak to ourselves and how we speak over ourselves and um, how we speak about other people, you know, like what, where have you found or what truth do you feel like you have to stand on every day to beat this? Hmm. That's such a good question. Do you, do you have like a, like a go-to of, of how you kind of retrained your brain with, with kind of killing those negative stories and what positive story you tell yourself? Well, and I think that that's where like it, like, the positive affirmations, as corny as they sound, it is important to mm-hmm. have some of those to look to at a time where like your thoughts feel particularly weak. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm sitting here right now at my desk and there is literally a piece of paper that is on my wall right in front of me of some of the affirmations that I read over on a daily basis. Um, because it's the best way to fight lies that want to tell you otherwise, you know? Yeah. So it's like different words. Like I'm always growing and learning the space I take up in this world matters. 
My voice is valuable. I bring light into the world. I value the people in my corner. I am organized and unafraid to say yes. I am saying yes to crazy growth and new opportunities. There is no one like me, so there's no need to compare. I am an encourager and investor in people. I am a girl boss who is just getting started. And like, those are the words that I have there because those (laughs) those were the things that I was fighting up against. Those are the lies that would come into my brain. And I think what's like really important, what I had to learn, and it was so hard to learn it, is that just because a thought comes into your brain does not mean it's true. A lot of times it isn't true. And so if a thought comes into my brain of like, you're not valuable to people or people don't like you, or you'll always be this way, If I take that as truth, then that's where I'm in trouble. But if I say that's just a thought coming into my brain and I know that that's not truth, um, it becomes much harder to believe that thing. But I definitely feel like a lot of people get stuck in a pit and it's a pit I've been in there before where you listen to the lies so much on repeat that it becomes your identity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's hard and also kind of scary about the aspect of the mind is how, how it's going to (laughs) run. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like what we feast on, um, or what we focus on is what we feast on. And, and so, I mean, I think I'm in this whole process of like this story of health and, and for so long, I've just been telling people how to eat and like, it it just doesn't feel like enough. Um, and I think the sole focus of health in general is that health is something that we are supposed to use as a means for living for something more, right? Like it was never something we were supposed to focus on solely or be our life. I think it was always designed as a means of who we are, just a part of us rather than who, what we do. And, Mm -hmm. and so in this whole journey, what I'm really coming and, and encouraging people is that there has to be a common thread in the middle of everything that we do that's woven together and eating well and exercise is just all these little threads woven around this one thick strand. And that strand is religion or faith, right? And I feel like without this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a woman of faith. It is in a totally different battle with Christ and without Christ. Oh, completely. 100%. I mean, like like, there's a foundation there that you were able to rely on, correct? Like kind of share your story with how, with how your faith enabled you through this too. Yeah. And I think that that's where I, because when I, I first came to faith when I was in my early twenties and so it's been a bit of a journey, but an interesting journey to like, I didn't, that wasn't something I grew up as part of my DNA. It wasn't just a given that I followed Jesus. It's something that I made a decision to do when I was in my twenties. And I I think what I've had to learn, though, is that, like, especially if you are somebody that deals with maybe more negative side of thoughts, you also have to filter the things that you believe about God through a better lens. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if I'm negative all the time, then oftentimes my brain might be telling me that God is not for me and God is not good or God is good to other people, but I'm forgotten. And the scripture says the exact opposite of that. And so that's where I have to choose to rely on truth that is bigger than the thoughts in my head. And like, I wonder where we get to that place as believers where we just decide to say, you know what? I'm not going to argue against this anymore. I'm not going to fight this anymore. But if I believe what I am declaring is true, like if I believe that to be truth, then this should change everything, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Like I had this moment of realization 
a few months ago where I just realized I was like, man, like if the gospel is not good news for me, then I really need to reprioritize. Like I really need to relook at some things because I am not applying this to my life. I'm telling everybody this is the answer, but it's almost like you have all these vitamins that you're like, are saying are so great, but you're not taking them yourself. And so I think it's that daily application and that daily coming back to something that is so much bigger than me, something that has the final word and say, like, I go to God regularly with all the lies that I'm believing. And I say like, here, this is, this is what I have for you. Could you give me something better? Could you give me something more substantial? And he doesn't leave me empty handed in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating when you say all of that, it's like this filter, like we're all filtering life through some kind of lens. And I think the faith aspect comes in is that, in Christ, we are able to filter it through truth. And without that, I think it's this faulty ground of what is true and what is not. And like this just unknown, which feeds in to the anxiety, I think, and the panic a little bit. Um, yeah. But what's interesting is that I feel like science, without saying it, is really coming around to the fact that we were designed to be led by something. You know, like I think, I think in this world that we live in of everyone is their own being and we just need to be fully independent and go out and hustle and do your thing. And I think that there's some greatness in that, but also at the same time, I feel like there's a deep loneliness of that because there is no one to feed that, you know, like then we're just alone on this island of trying to be everything that we think we should be without having any kind of direction or truth. And I just feel like we are people who, who need to be led in some way yeah, totally. and find that truth. So what advice in all of this and your whole story and everything that you've been through, what advice would you give someone who's struggling with anxiety or depression? Anxiety. Let's just oh. keep it at anxiety. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I definitely think that you do have to look at it as a multifaceted approach, that it's not just a one do one thing and that will Mm. relieve it. Um, I've had to show up every single day, like I said, with that battle plan. And Mm -hmm. that battle plan includes what I eat and if I move in that day and what I read and what I consume, how much time I'm spending on social media. You have to be willing to like look at your life and say, okay, these are the things that are taking from me. And so I need to do something differently, even if that means a hard sacrifice. Um, And, you know, I think that like, in terms of like, I would never, ever discount like mental health um, in the sense of like, you may need to see a therapist, you may need medication and that's totally okay. Like, don't be afraid to go and ask for help in those places because I know I likely wouldn't be here without those resources. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, when it comes to everyone, like anxiety, depression, whatever it is, um, And like you were saying, that need to be led, that need to have something bigger in our lives, I would just challenge everyone to just read the Bible more, just read it more. And it doesn't mean you need the next Bible study. It doesn't mean you need the next devotional, but like for you to have the autonomy to open up the book and say, God, I don't fully understand all of this because it can be confusing at times, but like I trust that you're here and I trust that you can show me something because Mm -hmm. I think that that's when our faith becomes real 
and when our faith becomes like, it becomes a weapon as it's described in the Bible of like, we're able to use it to fight back against these dark forces is when we actually know what we believe in and we're ingesting that daily and we're like, we are banking on that rather than on ourselves. Like at the end of the day, like I just can't rely on myself and think that I'm going to be okay. I need something bigger than my body. Like Mm -hmm. I need something that helps. And so I just, that's like my biggest, biggest commitment is to come back to the thing daily that I build my life upon, like not to do that once a week or once every month, but to make that the priority in everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And you gave us a few steps in your battle plan, like, you know, just being in the Bible and you, you said, you know, you have it set so that you can talk to your husband Lane about bringing up these, these questions of it's, is this truth or is this not truth? What, what other things, or do you have any other things that you could maybe throw out as ideas of here are some things that I've included in my battle plan? Yeah. So, um, I've had to take a pretty, um, like hard look at the food that I eat. And that has been probably the hardest part of the battle is like eliminating (laughs) grains from my diet and being like, I love bread, but bread does not love me back. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so being willing to like maybe even getting your blood tested or going to a nutritionist, somebody that can provide some information as to the correlation between your mental health and the foods that you're eating, because there is a ton of correlations out there. Um, I think that another thing that's, that's been vital for me is I set limits on my phone for social media. I only get 59 minutes a day on Instagram. And that's because if I'm feeling sad or lonely or like I don't add up, oftentimes my first instinct can be to go online and scroll and it never helps me. It never makes anything any bit better. And so I've limited myself to only 59 minutes on Instagram a day. And surprisingly, it feels like a lot of time, but it's like not a lot of time. And so I only have that amount of time to go on there. So what do I do with that time? I choose to be social with that time. So it's almost like putting the social back in social media. Um, And so that has been a game changer for me. I do that with my personal life. Um, I'm the type of person where it's like, it's helpful for me if somebody sends me a text that like, hey, I'm having a hard day, I'm struggling. I pick up the phone and I call them because I know that it's not just going to serve its purpose in a text message. Another thing that I do that's been vital for me is I have this little tin box in my office. And when I go to write or produce something, I put my phone in the box and I don't touch it throughout that time. Um, And so it's finding ways in my own life to free my mind and to take my mind back from the distractions that want to inform the way it's thinking. Um, I won't make light of it and make it seem like it's an easy process. It's probably sounds exhausting to hear all of it, but I mean, I can tell you that like as much as we're scared of discipline, discipline is what actually creates freedom. Like it creates joy. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want anybody to be scared off by it. Just start with something small to make your life better, to improve your life a little bit because you're worth that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And I love how you said discipline creates freedom because I think we, we can look. It's, again, a perception of how we view food. And those changes are hard, but they're very real. And and like you said, coming alongside of some of these things and understanding, is this nourishing my body? Is this serving and loving my body yeah. well? Or is this not? 
And like you said, I mean, some of that does take discipline, but having the view of discipline not being stuffy and rigid, but how can discipline provide the freedom that you Well, especially feel? when you think about it of like, well, what is the end goal? Is the end goal like, because to me, the end goal of being skinny isn't enough, you know, yeah. or the end goal of people being like, wow, your arms look great. That's not enough. The end goal that means something to me is that I am able to fully step into what God has called me to do, and I'm able to love my people well, that I'm able to show up to my calling every day and not feel exhausted by it or not feel inadequate. And honestly, like if you get into the nitty gritty of it, like that's when you have to start asking the questions of like, what is keeping me from showing up fully to my life? And in my own personal journey, it was a lot of the foods I was choosing to eat because I thought, well, I could just do it like everybody else. But I was reading more and more research that was telling me like, this is having the opposite effect. This is a huge cause of your depression. And now I've seen the difference in the two things. And I'm like, how long am I going to keep this knowledge, be aware of it, and not act on it, yeah. not change something? Because like God gives us knowledge and wisdom, but it's not enough just to have the wisdom. We have to apply it. Yep. Yep. And there's the application. Can you just share like the, the few things in the food world, because the still, people are still con- interested in the nutrition aspect, that yeah. has made a difference for you? Um, I think full. So for me, mainly the biggest difference has been grain free, um, that I had read a book called grain brain by Mm -hmm. David Perlmutter. I would recommend it to anybody that just wants to know more about it. It seems like it's a daunting step, but there's so many resources out there and I can vouch like for having the pickiest husband in the world who loves bread more than anything. And none of the recipes that I have made have ever made him feel like I feel like I'm missing out on something. Um, And so there's so many great blogs out there. There's so many great resources. But the biggest things for me have been I've had to be very mindful of taking in grains and very mindful of taking in sugar. Those were the two things that I think were causing a lot of anxiety and causing a lot of brain fog that was leading into more and more depression. Mm -hmm. Um, Another book that I also have been reading and really loving is called um, The Mindful Way Through Depression. Mm. And so it's about mindfulness. And my husband was just like begging me to read this book. And it's been so helpful. And I've learned so much from it. I'm not finished with it yet. But um, it's just shed a lot of light on depression and the way in which like when we become used to these negative thought patterns, it's almost like we train our brains to go back to that space when something goes wrong. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's almost like detrimental to be like, okay, like it's almost as if you're in a car and you're driving somewhere and you know the way to get to somewhere. So you just go on autopilot and the same thing is happening in your brain when you've been in a depressed state, it's like, you know where to go when these feelings hit. And so you just go back to them. And so this book has been really eye-opening to me about mindfulness and being aware of the thoughts and being aware that some thoughts are just thoughts. They're Mm -hmm. not meant to be entertained or taken as truth. So yeah, sorry. It's like a mouthful of things, but no, that's fantastic. It's really great because I think, like you said, sometimes when you're in that pit, it's hard to see a way out. And sometimes you just need yeah. the reminder of, okay, I've been there. 
These are some yeah. things that work for me. Here are some ideas, not to say that this is the end all be all, but here's some encouragement. Like there's yeah. hope, there's something there's to try. Um, and I think sometimes that's what it takes is a little bit of hope. So, yeah. and the scope of writing love letters, how has your outlook on writing love letters changed through your own journey? Or has it um, not? I mean, I still think that they're so valuable and so necessary, but I think I've learned in the last years that the most important letters that we have to write are oftentimes to the people in our own lives mm-hmm. that like, those are the people that we are called to remind them like, Hey, you're important. You're special. I need you, you know, like, and I think whereas people were so amazed that I wrote letters to strangers, I'm like writing letters to strangers is pretty easy writing the letter. That's really hard to write to the person you don't want to write the letter to like, that's what you need to focus on. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I still think tangible letters are just so powerful and people keep them and they're even more important as we get more and more digital. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's just something to the written word that, that has so much power. Okay. Yeah. You have been a, such a wealth of knowledge. Honestly, this has been a joy and an honor to have you on. I can Thank continue you. to go on, but in the sake of your time, I just have a few last quick fire questions and then we're going to learn where we can learn more about you. Um, yeah. so first up, what is the first thing you do every morning for your health? The first thing I do every morning is I am in the word every morning. I make a cup of coffee and I sit with my Bible. Mm -hmm. Non-negotiable because it makes a difference, right? Like how have you taken this? I told you I wasn't going to ask any more deep questions, but here it is. How (laughs) have you taken this from, I think I look at this and think there's so much life and opening the word. I mean, it is our source of life, right? But I feel like so many people, it's just something they have to do. And I think that this is for so many of us, the struggle that we have is these things, these good ideas, these nourishing life patterns that we have, we have in our mind that there's something that we have to do, not this desire of life. Like, how have you taken some of these things and transitioned them from something you have to do to something you want to do, you need to do, because that is your source of life? I think you just have to strip the drama from it. You Mm -hmm. have to just make it Mm -hmm. non-negotiable in the same way that a workout is non-negotiable or the way that you eat. It's non-negotiable because the reason that like it becomes so hard is because there's all drama surrounded by it. Will I go to the gym? Will I not go to the gym? You know? And it's like strip the drama from it, say this needs to happen. And then you show up to it. And I feel the same way about reading the word of God is that, Honestly, there are going to be some days where you're just not feeling it or where you read a few chapters and you just don't think much about it. And that's just normal. It can't always be a mountaintop experience. And so I just I just think about like, well, if I say that this relationship with Jesus is the most important thing to me, then the least I can do is show up every morning, like show up and be ready, if not for myself, then for somebody else that God needs to use me to get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Just like letting go of the pressure almost. I feel like that's what changed for me about it is that it doesn't have to look like a certain system or I don't have to read a certain amount and I don't have to make it an hour and it doesn't have to be fully quiet. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It's just what I do. Like, it just is like, again, it's taking this information, all of it, and it's just interweaving it into like your already lifestyle rhythms that you have going on. Like it just becomes who you are, not just something that you do. Yeah. Okay. So good. What's your favorite mindset book? You kind of gave a few health books in there and the mindfulness of depression. Oh, wait, was that the name of it? I don't remember, but I have it written. Uh, The Mindful Way Through Depression. Mindful Um, Way Through Depression. 
Yeah, my favorite book that I have been loving lately, um, it's called First We Make the Beast Beautiful by Sarah Wilson. Um, it's one of the best books that I've ever read on oh, anxiety. Yeah. I have never heard of it. You have to check this book out. It's just brilliant. Okay, so good. What is one thing you do for a healthy mind every day? I mean, you kind of said, you can say it's still reading in the word, but. <laughs> Honestly, as like for me, the thing that I do that's the most essential for my healthy mind is I remember to take my medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I used to think I had to be a superhero and that the victory would be when I was off medication. And I just have accepted that this is just a part of my story. And the biggest discipline is just remembering to take that medicine and not being too proud to take that medicine. Yeah, that's so good. Just bringing to light that 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 is an okay form of treatment. It's not something yes, that you have to be Yes, absolutely. Yes. And it doesn't different. mean it has to be forever, but your story is different than somebody else's story. And so you don't need to place a stigma on something that is helping you thrive every single day. Right, right. Because we all have different things that help us do that. What yeah. is the best piece of advice you could leave us with? Um, I think the best piece of advice, and I think we've talked about it throughout this whole thing, is just, just a reminder that like small things on repeat, that's where it's at. It's a bunch of small things on repeat. Um, that's how you change your life. That's how you make your life better. That's how you love people better. It's just, you don't need to make it this big thing. You just need to show up and do the small things every day. Yeah. So good. Hannah, like I said, you have been a wealth of knowledge. It has been so encouraging to have you on the show. A true honor. I encourage everyone to go out and grab your books. Your latest book is Come Matter Here. You have other books and other resources. Can you fill us in on where they can learn more about you? Yep. Everything is at hannahbrencher.com or at hannahbrencher on social media. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Hannah. And I will link all this up in the show notes, all the resources you mentioned, as well as where you can learn more about Hannah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure. I mean, right? Wasn't she awesome? I love Hannah so much and just her vulnerability and willingness to share her story. And not only share her story, but help us to overcome this ourselves. Help us to recognize that our own journey with our mind is our own. And it's going to take realistic steps in your own life to do that. But the big point and something that I always say, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. So sometimes we have to have that plan of action. Like Hannah said, one thing you can do in the next five minutes that's going to help you put one foot in front of the other and just focus on that one step. Because as she mentioned, it's so much sometimes to just think outside of our anxiety and our fear and our worry and depression, right? It creates this tunnel vision and it sucks us into the spiral that's so difficult to get out. And so while we might not be able to think better in that moment, we can do something in action. And oftentimes that action or enough of that will drive us into more of a positive mindset. So make sure you head on over to the show notes, simperitswellness.com backslash 162 to get more information on creating a list of items of things that you can do in the next five minutes that create change and help you get out of this anxiety or depression slump that you might be in. And regardless of if you're there or not, I think as humans, we're all inclined to experience some sort of anxiety or some sort of fear or worry at some point in our life. And having a plan is always going to be better than going in empty handed of thinking or telling yourself that you'll never experience that. That's when we crash our hardest. So make sure you have that plan, be prepared and use it when it comes up. 
and use it as preventative methods for any time you get yourself into a situation that feels uncomfortable. Also, don't forget to check out Hannah's books. She's one of my favorite authors that there is. Her writing is amazing and it will draw you in and make you want to read it all at once. Literally, I read Come Matter Here in just a matter of days and I know you're going to love it too. So head on over to the show notes or Amazon, wherever books are sold and find Come Matter Here. It's a great summer read by the pool or in your house, wherever you want to read this summer, pick up that book. Don't forget to head to the show notes, simperitswellness.com backslash 162 for all the information on today's show, as well as the link to download that free guide called The Joy Experiment. Okay, that's it for today's show. Next week, I'm coming back for our Monday motivation. We're going to dive a little bit more into this anxiety battle plan. In fact, we're going to take the next few weeks to really dive into this, getting ourselves out of the anxiety spiral and really walking and more positive thinking, but not just that, but adding the action to it. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, here's to crushing the rest of the week.